I used to think that, that talent and hard work alone can take me anywhere, but I quickly realized that's not true. I need there were people in my life that made huge sacrifices for me to be where I am today. So having that support group uh, was very important to me. The biggest blessings in my life have been the people in my life. And so that's how I realized the value of it. And that's what I want to give to the people around me. I'm Ashwin Sam. I'm a member of the 2020 cohort and a fourth year PhD student in the aeronautics and astronautics department. I imagine a world where people treat others with the same compassion and empathy they have for themselves. Welcome to the Imagine a World podcast from Knight Hennessy Scholars. We are here to give you a glimpse into the Knight Hennessy Scholar community of graduate students spanning all seven Stanford schools, including business, education, engineering, humanities, law, medicine, and sustainability. In each episode, we talk with scholars about the world they imagine and what they are doing to bring it to life. Today, we're speaking with Ashwin Sam, a PhD candidate in aeronautics and astronautics. During our conversation, you'll hear Ashwin's immigration story, falling in love with physics, simulating paint chips flying through space, reminiscing about Spider-Man 2, and so much more. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Imaginal World Podcast. I'm your co-host, Willie Thompson. I'm a member of the 2022 cohort and a second-year MBA student, hopefully doing a third year at the ed school at the time of this recording. We'll find out in March. And I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Taylor Goss, who is doing a joint degree between music and the policy school. And man, you're graduating this year, which is crazy. Yeah. And today, as you heard, we have Ashwin on. So Ashwin, what's up? How's it going? How what's you doing up, Willie? Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you guys for giving me this opportunity. It's really cool. We're excited to have you. I will just note the obvious here, or maybe the not so obvious, and that we've done, to my knowledge, seven episodes up yes. to now. And Taylor, I'm pretty sure this, this is the first engineer. We have, a, we have an expanding library, <laughs> and you have the distinction of being our first engineer. Wow, that's... Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that honor. I think you guys could have found we better engineers. We can right now if you, if <laughs> yeah. you want we don't have to. We don't have to do this. <laughs> I'm very excited to fill that little gap in our library, but also the fact that you're here specifically, Ashwin. I remember coming to Night Hennessy and you being one of the first people that I met. And you, you know, you had been around for a little bit, or at least were there when I entered, and you know, seemed to be sort of the the older, wiser guard <laughs> in Night Hennessy. And, mm. and you know, you kind of, you kind of. I don't know if you know this, but you kind of light up a room when you walk into it, buddy. Oh, I man, believe that. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you, thank you. This is this is uh, big words coming from Taylor because Taylor actually does light up a room when he walks in. <laughs> everyone knows Taylor, and everyone loves being around him and listening to him talk. So, and I carry a flashlight. He does. The room's brighter when he walks in. That's very sweet of you to say. Well, look, we've got so much to talk about, but let's start with the place where we always begin our conversation, and that is your origin story. And before we talk about the world you imagine, let's talk about the world you're born into and have experienced thus far. Where are you from and what was your journey here? That question is asked to most people, where is home? It's usually a straightforward question. To me, it's not very straightforward Mm -hmm. because I was born in India uh, and I grew up there for the first 13 years, which is half of my life. So in many ways, that's home. 
But if we define home as where your heart is, uh, I guess I have to go with where my family is, which is in Tennessee, mm-hmm. because we moved to my family and I, we moved to Tennessee uh, when I was 13. And then I've been in America since then. I did my high school and undergrad in Tennessee and then moved to California for grad school. So where is home? I don't know. Sometimes I say Tennessee, sometimes I say India, but that's the way it happened. So Tennessee, India, where were you born in India? I was born in a place called Kerala, India. Okay. That's where my mom is from. But I grew up in a different part of India called Chennai in uh, mm-hmm. Tamil Nadu. Wait, isn't Aditya from Chennai? He is. Wow. Yeah. He is. What, what are the odds of having... That's crazy. Yeah, we just had Aditya last week. I yeah. think many Nine Tennessee scholars from Chennai, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Who, who would have thought? And then Tennessee. Where in Tennessee? Yeah, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga. Yeah, shout out if anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take that... Bit by bit, because we're currently sitting in Denning House, and is this Annapurna? This is Denali. No. Denali. I always get the, always get the conversation mixed up. But walk us through the those three phases of life. So how do you get from India to the U.S.? How do you get from Chattanooga specifically? And then how do you get from Chattanooga to Palo Alto? Yeah, that I touches on a on a long story. That and it's a good way you ask because th- those are the three biggest phases of my life. Mm-hmm. I was born in India. I my dad had a business in India. But due to many reasons, we hit financial struggles and his businesses failed, again, for various reasons. And so we hit some financial troubles and we needed a way to, I guess, find means to living a better life. And we had a really good life in India, actually. We were a decent middle-class family. Mm -hmm. But then my dad had an American visa. He had access to come to America and work here. So he jumped on that opportunity and he came in 2008 and built up enough money to apply for visas for the rest of the family to come over. So me, my mom, my brother, we came over three years later in 2011. And the reason he came to Chattanooga is because we had some distant relatives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So it made sense for my dad to go there to be around people he knew. Yeah, that's how we ended up in Tennessee. And then I did all my high school and undergrad in Tennessee. And when it came time to apply for grad school, I Stanford was top of my list, and the decision was easy once Night Tennessee became a reality, and, and that's how I ended up in Palo Alto. You know, your Imagine a World statement makes a lot of sense, given what I know about you as a person <laughs> and the way you carry yourself in the world, this focus on compassion and empathy. Um, where do you think that that began your life? From, from where did this compassion and empathy radiate? Was it your family? Was it... <laughs> Where, where did it come from? Yeah, I, it came from the people in my life. You know, when you guys asked me to think about an imaginary world statement, many things came to mind. I could have taken this down a professional route of sure. like, you know, talking about my research and, and what I do at Stanford. But when I think about my future, at least, the things that come to mind aren't my professional goals. It is, you know, things like my family, things I want to do in life, becoming a good father or a good husband, things of that nature. And those values were instilled because of the people in my life. There were many things that happened in my life that because of the way things turned out, which I'm happy to get into more details about in a bit, but I realized that I can't be where I'm at today if not for the people in my life and the sacrifices mm. they made. Yeah, I used to think that, that talent and hard work alone can take me anywhere, mm-hmm. but I quickly realized that's not true. There were people in my life that made huge sacrifices for me to be where I am today. So having that support group uh, was very important to me. The biggest blessings in my life have been the people in my life. And so that's how I realized the value of it. And that's what I want to give to the people around me. That's beautiful. And you started teeing this up a little bit earlier. And 
I'll take a little bit of the liberty to maybe combine a couple of ideas that are swirling around in my head. Sure. When you were growing up in Tennessee and growing up around family and loved ones, sort of what were the moments where you realized that talent and hard work weren't enough? What are some of the sacrifices that helped you make it to to college, for example? I'd love to just hear you share more about what it looks like to have people sacrifice so that you can have opportunities to display the brilliance and the hard work that you have within you. So in order to talk about my path to college, I have to start all the way in 2011 when I came to America. We're going to wind it way back. Way back. My dad, he brought us here on a business visa mm-hmm. and he had a convenience store in Tennessee. To those of you who might not be familiar with how the visa system in America works, if you have a family member who can sponsor a green card for you to come to America, mm-hmm. that's what I think is a least resistance path to getting a green card. You apply for it many, many years ago, and then somebody sponsors you to come. If not your family, then at work or something like that. But we didn't have any of that. So the other opportunity to build yourself up to a green card in America is to start a local business mm. and to show that you're a productive member of the American economy. So my dad did that by starting a local convenience store, which, by the way, is another reason why many immigrants have convenience stores mm. or gas stations and things like that, because it's a, it's a cheap business to start up. Mm-hmm. And... He worked at this place, but there wasn't enough of a profit to show that we could apply for a green card. So I, see. I don't know all the technicalities behind this. So some of this could be wrong. But my understanding is that in order to apply for the green card, you have to show that you're making X amount of money and that you're providing jobs and salaries to other people in your community. So my dad had employees, even though he couldn't afford to keep them, but he had them because it mm. shows that the store is doing well mm-hmm. in order for us to apply for the green card. And would not. But even despite all of that, we still ended up not having enough money because when we applied for the green card, we got rejected. Mm-hmm. We got multiple rejections, actually. Um, and this was, now we're in 2013. It's two years now. We thought we built up enough to apply for the green card, but we, we applied and we got rejected. So the next best thing you can do is to apply for a visa extension. Mm-hmm. So he applied for the visa extension as well. And guess what? That also got rejected. Mm-hmm. At this point... We have only a little bit of time left on our visa and every every door has closed. So we're now asking ourselves, what do we do? Well, there's really nothing you can do. We, we, so we decide to pack our bags and head back home to India. Mm-hmm. But as my dad is sitting in his store one day, not really knowing what the future held, a guy walks into the store with a gun and holds my dad at gunpoint and drags him by the shirt collar. And this was kind of a monumental moment in my own life because Mm. I don't know, unfortunately or fortunately, I can't decide. This was all captured on video. And I got to see this on video. And here is your dad who, for a boy growing up in many ways, is like this hero-like figure that you look up to for everything. And in that moment, I realized how human my dad was because I've never seen him beg for his life being dragged by his shirt collar. He gets dragged into the back closet where it's dark, there's no light. The guy with the gun has my dad get on his knees and holds the gun to the back of his head. And basically, my dad's thinking, this is it. This is the end of his life. Thankfully, he only pistol whipped him, knocked him out, went back outside, took all the money he could grab and left. Mm -hmm. Now, while this was the most traumatic event that's happened in my family's history, this was also in many ways a huge blessing in disguise. Because what happened was when the news about this started circling in our local community, 
somebody contacted my dad and asked, hey, have you heard of this thing called the U visa? And my dad was like, no, what is that? And he said, they explained to him the U visa is this very niche visa, which if my understanding is correct, only like 100 people in the country get it. It's very rare. So no one knows about it. It's a visa that is set aside for immigrants who are victims of abuse or crime to help mm. the police, like, you know, capture whatever, whoever the perpetrator was, etc. So now here we are with a new beam of hope, like new, like door has opened for us that we did not expect. So we immediately apply for that visa and we get it. And that is how we were able to remain in this country up until like we were able to keep getting visa extensions up until two years ago when mm-hmm. we finally got our green card. That's my path to immigration. Now, the reason I'm saying all of this is to answer your question, Willie, about my path to college is because by the time I applied to college in 2015, I was unaware or ignorant about my how my immigration status affects my applications to college. Mm-hmm. I had all my eggs put into Georgia Tech because I really wanted to go to Georgia Tech as a school that's close to where I am. I wanted to study math and physics and Georgia Tech is good for those things. I wanted to remain close to family, so somewhere within an hour and a half radius. For those, under those search conditions, Georgia Tech was the best option. So I wanted to go there. I applied, I got in. I also applied to some local, like, state schools nearby, like University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And um, I got into these schools, and I even had scholarships. But it was only months later when there was a proposed bill of how much you were expected to pay. When that came in, I realized, wait, oh my gosh, all these proposed scholarships, they got rescinded. I no longer was able to afford to go to these schools. And that was very shocking to all of us because I was just naive. I didn't know that my immigration status would affect me because technically the Georgia Board of Education, Tennessee Board of Education saw my U visa as just me being equivalent to an international student. Mm, And therefore I wasn't eligible for any federal aid, any loans, any scholarships that came from TATS dollars. And I didn't prepare myself for this moment. At this point, it's way past deadlines for private schools, et cetera. Um, So, yeah, I was like, oh, man, like, what do I do? And it was really sad because all my other classmates were going to all these really good schools. But not to, like, you know, brag or put them down, but I had better scores and better admission opportunities than they did. And I couldn't go to school anywhere because for financial reasons. My parents definitely can't afford out-of-state tuition without any loans to go to any of these schools. So it's the summer after high school, and I still don't know where I'm going to go to college. That's crazy. And it was really, really... I know. I can't imagine how stressful that the, must have been. Yeah, it was one of the lowest points in my life. I even considered maybe packing my bags and going back to India, sure. maybe studying there, maybe you know taking a gap year or something. But I gave up hope, but my parents didn't. They would just get in their car every weekend and go drive to some university somewhere. I remember they went to Kentucky. They would go to different parts of Tennessee with, without any objective in mind, like without a plan. Like they would just mm-hmm. get in the car, yeah. just go there, drive to the school, just knock on the door of some international student office or something and just explain their story and hope something good will come out of it. Well, as you can imagine, they kept getting rejected every time because legally they can't just use tax dollars for me, you know? So everybody kept saying no, no, no. And I remember I used to join them on some of these trips in the beginning, but I lost hope. I So I just stopped going with them and they just kept going. And I was like, you guys are foolish for this. They're, this isn't going to lead to anything. Like you're wasting your time. But they didn't lose hope. I'm so glad they didn't listen. To me. <laughs> <laughs> no, right? They didn't listen to me. They showed perseverance. I guess it's maybe that's another part of this immigrant mentality that my dad has. It's like, 
Like, I don't like taking shots in the dark. Like, to me, that's inefficient. That's kind of dumb. But to him, it's like, what are you going to lose? Like, you know, just take your shot. Like, you know, just attempt, attempt, attempt it and see what happens. Anyway, they drive to a local community college down the street, which I had already looked into it. In a, and at that community college, for out-of-state tuition, it would have cost me like $20,000 or something, which I don't think anybody should pay that much money to go to a community college. That kind of defeats the purpose of a community college. But my parents went there, they knocked on the door, and there was a lady there who listened to their story and took a chance on me. She said, okay, listen, if you can apply for this honors fellowship at our school, which it technically has already passed the deadline, but she was like, we'll make an exception. If you can get in, we will try to move private donor money around to be able to offset his tuition. We can't use tax dollars, but we can use donor money. So she was willing to create a custom scholarship for me to go to that college. Shout out to Amanda Bennett. Oh, you know the name? Oh, yeah, bro. We do our research over here. (laughs) (laughs) We have the receipts. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) These guys are prepared. Yes, shout out Amanda. And that's what they do. So they come back home and they tell me about it. I'm like, okay, I guess. Like, I I was holding back on excitement. But I apply. Within, like, two hours, I get an email saying, you've been accepted. (laughs) And and we go meet with them. And, yeah, they, 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 they are able to waive my out-of-state tuition. And at that point, I still needed to pay in-state tuition, but it was a reasonable amount. Right. I remember I, I took two jobs that for the, those years working. My dad was working extra hours to, to like help pay for, those, pay for the tuition. And then right after that, well, it's a two-year college, right? It's community college. Right, so right, in my right. head, I'm thinking, well, what do I do after? Right. Well, Amanda... And that college, Chattanooga State Community College, on behalf of people like me, they went to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, mm-hmm. and said, hey, here's what we did for Ashman. Can you guys do something similar where you help him offset the out-of-state tuition to give him in-state tuition and help him out with some scholarships by maybe using donor money? Yeah. And that's what they did. So shout out to Dr. Linda Frost at the University mm-hmm. of Tennessee, Chattanooga, who also listened to my story and took a chance on people like me and made it possible for us to afford school. So that's how I ended up at U- University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. It wasn't a matter of choice. Like, it's not like I wanted to. Right. Like, I mean, I'm so glad I went there, but it's yeah, a, yeah. that's the only school I could go to. And I ended up studying mechanical engineering and mathematics at that school. And all the opportunities I've had were presented because of that. And so that's what I mean when I say, like, when I think about my story, I guess technically I'm the subject of my story, but I don't feel like the hero of my story in any way. Like it, the movers and shakers. Woo. Hey, uh, just got chills. <laughs> no, that's, that's a bar. Yeah. Um, the movers and shakers of my story were other people. You know, the analogy I think of is there's these doors in front of me that they're locked, mm-hmm. and other people had keys to unlock this. Whether it's through their you know citizenship or whether it's the, the they had money growing up, other people's had other people had keys to not to unlock these doors, but I had a demolition crew. You know, I had yeah, a crew yeah. to like just tear these walls down, knock open the doors for me. You HGTV thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very privileged. And that's why when I think about a world, I want a world like that for everybody where other people are helping you out. They're compassionate, they understand your situation, showing you empathy, things like that, you know? So that's my path to my education, how I ended up at in college. I mean... Honestly, we can't end the pod now if you want. I know. It's it's hard to know what to say. I mean, you know, like Willie and I, as the listeners know, have been sitting here fairly quiet (laughs) for the past while because we're in stunned silence. This is, it's a really incredible story, man. And it says a lot about you and and your perception of of your life with how much you center others. It's clear from your story how much they really were 
influential and impactful in your life and allowed you to do the things you want to do, the things you're passionate about. But I think it, it takes a real clarity of purpose and like, you know, life mission mm-hmm. to do the work of explaining your story this way. And, and just a real quick follow up on that. You mentioned being accepted to all these colleges and it feels good to get accepted to college to get scholarships. How were you feeling in the turn of like going to Chattanooga State, considering sort of the options you had? Like, like, where, like where was your mindset at, you know, in terms of in terms of the opportunity that was before you and, and how to take best advantage, best advantage of it? Yeah, if I'm being completely honest, it was a huge knock on my pride. Mm. You know, I was prideful. I was like, you know, I got into Georgia Tech. I, here I am, which is a good school. Like I've gone to other good schools too, but here I am going to a community college. There was a level of my pride, but I, I am really thankful for it because I think I needed to be humbled. Uh, <laughs> uh, Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of life lessons I learned. Sure, my education might not have been technically as good as it would have been if I went to Georgia Tech, but my education for life, I think, in many ways was seriously enhanced because even at the community college, I was going to school with people that are like 60 years old because they're, you know, they never finished college and coming back from retirement or whatever. The kinds of lessons you learn from people like that were very valuable, and I'm really thankful for that. But to answer your question, I didn't really have much thought because I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, like education was not a choice for me. Like I knew it's something I've always wanted, yeah. maybe even needed. Right. And so it was the only door ahead of me. So I had to take it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And community colleges are really untapped resources yeah. in a number of ways when it comes to, to the United States. And even hearing you talk about in other settings, how much exposure you had to professors and the kind of research you could do and the opportunities you could take advantage of by being at a smaller school initially, as opposed to being at Georgia Tech, which huge school, lots of people probably all trying to do the same, trying to get into some sort of opportunity when it comes to research and in their majors. And it's really healthy for us to hear that kind of perspective when it comes to the opportunities that um, at least folks who attend higher education in America have when it comes to schooling. Yeah. So often the discussion on higher education can focus on, you know, places like Stanford and Ivy Plus universities as sort of the silver bullet answer, but it's a, it's a larger, it's a larger system in places like public state schools and community colleges have a huge part to play as your story makes extremely clear. For sure. You know, you've described this, this crucible of opportunity Mm -hmm. in which your life was forged. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Given those opportunities, how did that lead you toward engineering and toward place exploration and climate research, this sort of unique blend of of your academic career? So my academic journey has been, I think, sort of independent of these. Mm. Well, in some ways, in some ways. I actually have this date written down, March 26, 2013. That's the day I decided I wanted to be a physicist. I, seen, what, what, I'm what, just seeing the script for the biopic <laughs> unraveling in front of us. I wrote us. it down. Yeah. Do you think you wrote it like in an equation? We'll get just beautiful minding an equation. We'll get to your Christmas equation in a second. <laughs> Christmas? Wait, wow. You guys really have uh, done all the, the digging. Wow, I'm impressed. So I, growing up, my parents encouraged me to be a doctor like most Indian kids growing up. Um, <laughs> We had many engineers in the family, but no doctors. So my dad was like, you know, you should think about that. But I've always been better at physics and math than life sciences or any other oh, subjects. And for a moment, I focused more on biology and chemistry, things like that, for, I guess, thinking about med school. But I always 
did better in my physics and math classes. It was more natural to me. Do you have a sense as to why that is? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, growing up in India, your education in math is very rigorous. So by the time I came to America, the things that I was learning in ninth grade were things that I learned in fifth grade in India. So what? there's like this advanced, like nothing about me. That's just the level of education yeah, for yeah. math in India, you know? America's cooked. Close <laughs> <laughs> uh, it up. <laughs> but I had a really, really passionate physics teacher in high school. And his passion was so contagious that I just couldn't ignore physics. And I just really, really enjoyed that class. But one very interesting thing that happened in in his education or my education uh, in his class was he loved the TV show, The Big Bang Theory. (laughs) And he would quote that TV show a lot. And he recommended that show to me, which in retrospect, maybe not a great idea for a teenager. But (laughs) I I actually checked out the show and I fell in love with it. Now, I don't like the show as much now, but back then I really liked it. But there's a lot of physics concepts and jokes made in the show that I just wouldn't understand. So I would go to Google and be like, what is string theory? What is blah, 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 blah. And I would go on down this rabbit hole of learning about so many physics concepts about subatomic particles and quantum mechanics and string theory and all of these things. And I fell in love with this this world. And I was like, I want to one day be a scientist and be a physicist. But more specifically, what happened was I was playing basketball in high school and I had an Classic injury. Classic thing for you to <laughs> be doing. I fell on the court and dislocated my shoulder. Mm. So for a while, I couldn't play any sports, which back then was taking up a lot of my time. Like I played basketball, ran track, but so much of my time was spent doing these activities. I'd never really focused on my academics. But when I just Such an athletic guy. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. For those who don't know me, I'm not. But I mean, close to you on the court, brother. You know? <laughs> but during that time, I couldn't move. So I was so bored that I just picked up a physics textbook and read it. And I was like, oh my God. It's got to be pretty bored. <laughs> I was so bored. I just started reading a physics textbook and I really liked it. And I was like, you know what? Here's something I think I could be good at. And I think I will really like this. It was March 26th, 2013. I wrote the date down because that day I decided I wanted to be a scientist. And since then, I haven't looked back. And, and here I am doing my PhD. Do you still have the thing that you wrote that date on? I do. I do. Oh. It was actually my Bible. And oh. it's a Bible I still have. Yeah. It's still there. I, if you guys are interested, I'll show it to you sometime. Love to see it. <laughs> it's going to end up in the Smithsonian someday. <laughs> so when it comes to physics and getting a PhD, well, it's not a PhD in physics, but you're, you're sort of like pursuing a terminal degree in STEM, right? Mm-hmm. What drew you to aeronautics and astronautics as a, as a field? Because I'm not going to front. I don't know the subdivisions <laughs> of science when it comes to STEM and what's in what, but I know there's a general interest in like physics and the topic, like you mentioned, but then how does that go into a specific discipline for you sure, and, sure. And, and what led you to, to pursue that? Sure. Now, this is where I think the story connects with my story from earlier. Like I said, I wanted to study physics and math and be a physicist. I didn't care about engineering really at all in high school or really even early in my undergrad, but... Because I couldn't go to school, like to the schools I wanted to, and because I started off at the community college, I foresaw myself having to take up private loans from banks, which I did end up doing. And those have really high interest rates. And the way I was thinking about it is with a physics degree, I'll have to eventually go to grad school and all of that. Like I won't have a job early enough to pay off these loans. Mm -hmm. So it became a practical question of like, I want to study physics and math. But I think it might make more sense to study engineering because I need to think about job prospects and how I'm going to pay off my loans. 
and the engineering department at the schools, both the schools, UTC and Chat State, had more scholarships to give. So that's why I decided that I wasn't going to do physics anymore as a major, but decided to switch to engineering instead. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't a matter of me choosing to do that out of desire, mm-hmm. but because I felt like I needed to. That also was a really hard switch for me to make because so much of my passion and identity was like in studying physics and really loving it a lot. And here I was switching up, switching that up. But I don't regret it because by the time I got to UTC, I got involved with the rocket project with Dr. Trevor Elliott. Also, shout out to him. He made a huge impact in my life as well, which if we have time, I can get into that. But aerospace engineering, which Stanford calls the aeronautics and astronautics, which is you know same thing, aerospace engineering. The reason I got into that is because it felt to me like the best combination of applications in engineering and also doing cool theoretical science, like what I'm interested in. My research right now is very computational, very theoretical. I call myself a fake engineer because I actually don't know how to build anything <laughs> with my hands. I'm really bad at that. But I can just, I would rather do pencil, paper, math, or like code up something on a computer. But aerospace engineering felt like the perfect marriage between the cool theoretical parts of physics and the applications. And I got to be involved with the rocket team in UTC, at UTC, and we had lots of successes in competitions and things like that. So that also propelled my motivation to to go further into this field. So yeah, that's how I ended up in, in aerospace engineering. And to that point, so what, I know you're in fourth year of the PhD. You're in dissertation time now, right? Oh, gosh, no. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I, 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 in case you forgot. Case, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... I, I know my topic. I know what I'm going to be writing about, okay. but I have nothing written. Okay. What's the topic? If you want, I'm just. I don't know if I'll understand it, but I'm no, curious. no, no, no. I'll, I'll think I'll, I'll, it's actually really easy to 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 discuss it. So here's a here's my pitch. There's a lot of debris in space. Okay. Really? Yeah, because of uh, from meteors or from uh, just satellite being blown blown up. There's just a lot of junk in space. Hmm. People, Not like plastic bag junk, but like. <laughs> Like, or or even like small paint chips like coming off satellites or, okay. you know, oh, like people yeah, like yeah. Elon putting cars up there. You know, it's just like there's just a lot mm. of junk in space. Okay. okay. And as you guys probably know, we're moving towards a space economy yeah. and we can't just have people back then didn't really care about putting junk up there because there's so much of space. Sure. So you can just put a lot of junk up there. But now it's getting to <laughs> Classic a point. Classic human mindset. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. But now it's getting to a point where we need to start worrying about the junk up there because it's taking up too much Space in space, you know. Mm-hmm. For example, even a centimeter-sized object like a paint chip, okay, moving at ten kilometers a second, which is standard velocities in those orbits, if it hits you, like a centimeter, tiny fleck at moving at ten kilometers a second, is like hitting getting hit by five hundred and fifty pound object moving at sixty miles an hour. It's like getting oh hit by God. a car. Whoa! Yeah, imagine something so tiny and wrecking your whole like million dollar whatever yeah. spacecraft up there. So people are coming up with ways to map out the debris environment and avoid collisions and things like that. But there's no technology that exists today that can detect debris that's smaller than a centimeter. But like I said, even a centimeter-sized object causes fatal damage. My research is looking into coming up with a new way, a diagnostic tool for detecting such debris and hopefully avoiding collisions with such debris. So that's orbital debris detection is my research. Uh, and I, I'm the way I'm doing that is through studying something called solitons and plasmas. So my I'll, fundamentally what I do is I, I build simulations for studying plasma physics with the goal of applying it to detecting debris in space. 
I'm ready to take you to Sand Hill Road right now <laughs> yeah, and, and go yeah. fire up the VCs and get this idea funded. This sounds right, like it yeah. sounds like a great startup idea. Yeah. No, no, no kidding though. I mean, you know, you're fantastic at explaining yeah, what are these very high level yeah. concepts and we we understand it not being Aero Astro people. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's something you in general do very well. Oh, thank you. You know, thank as you. is obvious to people listening to this, you're a very good storyteller. Very oh. good. And <laughs> you're very good. good at breaking down big concepts. And yeah. so like because of that, I think those are two skills of an educator essentially. So I, I think of you as, as an educator as well. I mean, for instance, you even have participated in making videos about math concepts, like short little <laughs> bite-sized videos. Yes. Right. Like Merry could Christmas you tell us? every year. Merry Christmas. Right. Like, so how, how do you, you, you I can only us? figure out one of them, by the way. I can only figure out one of them. It was, it was the, it was a natural log thing. So you guys like, went oh, through okay. my Instagram. Yeah. For <laughs> the people so listening, funny. tell us, tell us more about that aspect of your life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like I said, I worked two jobs during college to pay for my tuition and whatnot. One of them was being a math um, tutor. So I, I've been teaching math or tutoring math for a very long time. And I really like that. I actually wanted to come do a PhD thinking I would want to be a professor one day and go teach. I decided I don't want to do that anymore, but that's a different story. But I've always enjoyed teaching. I love it. I'm very passionate about math and physics and things like this. And I love sharing that passion with others. So if I, that video that you're referring to is what I consider the most beautiful equation in math. And I wanted to explain to the world why I think it's so beautiful. So I made that video. And I, I have other things that I, when I really like something, I want to tell the world how awesome it is. Um, We're going to put that video in the show notes so that people can <laughs> well, go I, check I it know. out. It's a little embarrassing because I was in high school back then, I think. <laughs> and so like I cringe a little bit looking at it today. But I mean, yeah, I guess if you guys want to, but <laughs> I, I, I just get really passionate about different concepts and I love telling people about it. Yeah. In Night Hennessy, we sort of have a tradition practice of storytelling, which is, you know, partly a little bit of a part of our leadership curriculum. Uh -huh. You even participated I have. in our, in our storytelling uh, events that we have throughout the year. How has Night Hennessy affected your storytelling ability and what has that part of the community been like for you? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think John Hennessy actually talks about this in his book about the importance of storytelling and leadership. And you read your book, John. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's an interesting thing, right? When you think about leadership, that's not a, one of the things that comes to mind, at least traditionally. Before I came to Stanford, I wouldn't have thought of storytelling as a very important aspect of leadership. But now I realize it is very important. Telling your story or explaining things in a way that people can understand and appreciate and also feel the same way about it that you're feeling, I think is an important skill. And by being a member of the Night Tennessee community, we've been given it training to hone those kinds of skills that I've really appreciated. But, it, you know, so my friends actually make fun of me for this. They say, Ashwin, every story you tell is like a TED talk. But <laughs> <laughs> I know they meant that in a, maybe in a way to like jab at me, but I take, I'm okay with that. You know, like yeah. I, th I think there's, there's value in, um, in having your story said in ways that people want to listen to. But the biggest asset in, becoming a better, better storyteller has been the other people in Tennessee because mm -hmm. they're such excellent storytellers. Going back to Taylor, I mean, you also shared a story that night and I remember it was really good. <laughs> so I'm able to listen to other people and notice things about people saying something that would grab my attention and I would try to mimic or try to do something similar in my own storytelling. But yeah, I've, I'm realizing as I get older, so much of life is not really what you know, but how you're able to say what you know. And that's been, Night Tennessee has been awesome in, in helping me get better at that. Similar to what you said, I feel as if the storytelling work with 
Dan and Lisa and just all the other formats we have opportunities to practice that muscle, provide something that I feel is really tangible and very easy to use in my day-to-day life, which feels like the most useful at this point in my life when it comes to leadership, right? Because you can hear people in leadership positions talk all about values and getting a good team together. But I think the ability to tell a story is something you can just do today, you can do mm-hmm. tomorrow, things like that. So I actually have a story bank on my notes app on phone where really? anytime somebody tells me a good story, I try to write it down. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. What was I the most? To, I try to collect a story. Collect story. I want to be a story collector. Yeah. So also the collectors of character in Marvel, which is hilarious. But what was the latest story you listened to that was... It was great. Uh, I'm going to butcher... Or whose was it, I guess? It could be yeah, you. it was actually a story I heard on a, on a podcast, uh, This American Life. Oh, yeah. very yeah, meta. Yeah. Those, it's very meta right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was about... I don't want to get too much into the details because I'm going to do a poor job at this. But it's a story about these kids in elementary school who drew up this cartoon character of envisioning what a... Uh, uh, do you guys know Despicable Me? The minions from Despicable yeah. Me? So ba, 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 yeah, ba, there's yeah. a character ba, ba, ba. named yeah. Bob. And so this kid draws up a character called Bob's sister. Oh. Yeah. And what Bob's sister would look like. And this Bob's sister drawing became like a huge thing in this class. And one day it goes missing and they held a funeral for it and all that. <laughs> and it like taught the kids about loss. And yeah, it's a great, Whoa. it's a great story. I, re- I recommend listening to it. I don't know the name of the episode. After you listen to our podcast. Uh, after, <laughs> obviously. But that I thought was a great story. And I put it down in my bank. I was like, yeah. I want to remember that. Yeah. That's a really cool... I will actually be looking in for that story. So I, I do like that storytelling as a as a vehicle for how Night Hennessy has supported or helped you like in a I guess it's technically a personal endeavor, but it, I think it stretches to the to the professional, right? Like your ability to tell tell stories about your work. Well, before we get out into our final couple of questions here, I wanna circle back to your the day you celebrated almost eleven years ago of becoming an engineer and where that statement is right now. You said it's in your Bible, which implies in my mind, some adherence to a faith. And so could you share a little bit about, about, about your faith and just what your experience as a member of a faith has borne out in you over the years? Yeah, yeah, for sure. My faith is very important to me. I grew up in a Christian family, but in many ways that has not been super great either. I, I think I made my faith my own only later in life. Mm-hmm. But even if you listen closely to my Imagine a Well statement, that's just Jesus' words of uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself, just reworded, you know? So this idea of valuing the people in your life, I think, stems a lot from my faith. I mean, I'm not saying that you're like you need uh, only a Christian can do that. Obviously not. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think a lot of my love for the people around me stems from this idea of being created to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I I believe that's what like my purpose is is to is to be a loving neighbor. So I try to act that out day to day. I mean, I fail at it a lot. You know, don't get me wrong, but that's what I strive to have in my life all the time is to is to live out the calling to be a good person to the people around you. And yeah, so it's it shapes so much of the world that I see and and the way I, I live. In fact, even even going back to wanting to do physics, originally I wanted to be I thought I wanted to be a scientist so that I can one day prove that God exists using math. I realize now that's really <laughs> dumb. You know? I, I, I quickly realized that that's not pot, like that's just a really silly pursuit. But even 
dating back to the origins of me wanting to be a scientist was rooted in, in my faith. Now I think about my, the, my physics and math education or my scientific education as not something that makes me want to prove God exists, obviously not, but mm-hmm. rather studying the artistic nature of God's creation. Yes. So from the smallest of atoms to the largest of galaxies, I believe it was all woven through like this design. And so now when I study about black holes or when I study about subatomic particles, it's it's like getting a small glimpse into an infinite wisdom of how of of a creator, like how beautiful symmetries exist. And and it's like a painter. You know, I'm I'm watching, I'm getting I'm realizing strokes of a painter, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. So now there is still a faith element to my education, but it's different. Right. Um, it's more of a curiosity of studying these things. Yeah, that's a also. I think it's the third bar that's been dropped on this, <laughs> on this podcast. We might, might need might need to start a bar heavy, soon. Bar heavy <laughs> a bar heavy episode. And yeah, I think that is a really. I'm also Christian, and I think that there have been moments, even in my life, as a percussionist, where being in like AP music theory and my professor being like, how is the circle of fifths, the circle of fourths backwards or whatever? And being like, even like, like a human can have done this. I'm like, dang, you're right, man. That's crazy how that just works that way. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's a, it's a really cool reflection. And yeah, also reminds me of just people I've spoken to, like Jean Wong, who's in my cohort, who she talks about physics in a very like beautiful way too. And just how like the earth, like the universe is made up of only so many things and like like that's I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting on tangent here, but it's really cool to hear you, it is, hear you share I, about that. I actually will go as far as to say that I think God is a mathematician, and <laughs> I think He designed it using math. So I, another thing that helps me want to study math more. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a really dope reflection. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we get ready to head out on this episode, this has been great. I, I want to actually, Taylor, do you want to start with advice, or do we want to go to problem facts? <laughs> Which where do we want to go first? You know, I just know that whatever your advice is going to be is going to be a banger. And so I think we should start out with improbable facts. So yeah. something that we do at the end of every episode mm-hmm. is touch on your improbable facts that you supplied for your Nihenesi application. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. everyone that's in Nihenesi filled out you know, the question, provide eight improbable facts about yourself. Mm-hmm. And we all struggle with what exactly that means. And we all struggle <laughs> with choosing the right ones. It was the very last thing and maybe the most stressful thing I did with my application. <laughs> what was that experience like for you? And would you share one or two of your sure. improbable facts? I actually yeah, had a lot some, of fun. Go ahead. I, I already got, like, I'm just thinking about, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot that come to mind. Well, actually, I'm, like, and then it gets like, what is improbable, right? You yeah. Know, you know, because we, we're putting bars on a podcast. I know you're, you know, you're rapping your spare time. From BBS back in the yeah. day, you know. Also, also a fantastic dancer and choreographer. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. If folks don't know, on his, on his, on Oshman's uh, Instagram. Bro, I'm t- bro. Smoother than melted butter. Oh okay? my god! You know, I'm telling you, I don't even know melted butter is smooth, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's one of those things because it's nearly liquid. That's how smooth. Oh, I'm right. telling you, you know, you guys and, are too much. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Everyone who's listening, go on Oshel's Instagram and look at the. I think it's maybe the third or second most recent video as of this recording. He did a mashup of uh, "Way Too Sexy" and. One more time for the Desi Boys. Yeah, you, why, you and, know that song? Yeah, bro. Wow. I, so, 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 so improbable. I guess improbable fact. Bro, I took a Bollywood dance class in Boston. What? Bro, out, bro. I'm all into the bunger, bro. Oh I'm, my I'm, god, I'm, I'm into it, bro. Desi Boys. You know. Anyway, we, we can talk Dude, about spring after. formal. Let's do a bunger dance. Bro, I'm, dog, dog. I have been deprived of a okay, rich I'll have, to be, I'll have to be the videographer. <laughs> no, you got to be in it too. It's got, it's got, it's got to be. Oh, a, I do it. Effort. Yeah, I'd be doing. I'd do it. Yeah, cool, great. Sorry. Anyway, we're going on tangent, but yeah. Sorry, improbable facts. Yes, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to choose from, but 
Austin's an improbable dude. All right, I'm done. Go for it. <laughs> well, I, I have fun with it. Well, when I first saw it, I was also like, oh, man, like, what do I do? Like, this is, I don't know what to put. Also, real quickly, I only found out about Nine Tennessee two weeks before the deadline. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Nice. So I, it was that was that's a whole other story. Uh, we don't have time to get into, but Talk about I, I literally had to like put together the application really fast, which I think in many ways was a good thing because I didn't have time to think about, oh man, what do the admission people want to hear? Like yeah. I just <laughs> put down my raw story as it is, you know, without too much editing. Improbable facts. When I saw it, I was like, oh gosh, like I don't really know what they want. But what I ended up doing was I basically put together a panel of my friends. And I was like, yo, all right, listen, tell me what you guys think is improbable about me and let's have fun with it. So I did. We had fun with it. So a lot of my improbable facts were things that my friends told me, you know, the things they knew about me. Yeah. I'll share a couple. One of them was, this is actually kind of dumb, but growing up, one of my aunts believed that if you eat goat brains, it makes you smarter. So I was fed goat brains growing up occasionally, like uh, <laughs> because they thought that it would make you smarter. Well, I don't you think can't I don't know argue. if it worked, <laughs> but I was fed goat brains growing up uh, occasionally. Raw? Now it wasn't like a regular diet thing, but like occasionally, like because uh, they believed it would make me smarter, or whatever. Um, Raw goat brains, fried goat brains, like in a in a curry goat brain. It was like, like in a curry. I believe. Goat brain okay. too fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I'm just checking because wow. Okay. All right. Another improbable fact is that I love movies. Like this is something that okay. I actually want the world to know about me. I love film. Mm. I've, like I've taken courses in movies and mm. and a growing man up, of cinema. I love cinema and. The first English movie I watched in theaters was Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. Oh, yeah. And my dad took me to that show. Yeah. And I still remembered my emotions from that movie. One of my improbable facts is that I've seen that movie, without exaggerating, over a hundred times. Wow. My friends were like, yeah, only you would do that. That's crazy. That's, but- <laughs> that's so cool. Favorite scene from Spider-Man 2? Or, oh. or, or, or I guess Spider-Man 2 and then what's your favorite Spider-Man movie? Ah, uh, it's that movie. So I would that actually one? go okay, as far as so say that's probably that one. Well, that, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, Spider Man across the Spider Verse is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I would go as far as say that's yeah. my favorite like superhero movie of all time. Oh, Spider Man okay. Two. Okay. Why? I think so much of it, for me it was just a wow factor of seeing an, a Hollywood movie in theater. Like that itself okay. is like amazing, right? Two, seeing somebody swing like that from building to building, like in live action, like to me that was mind blowing. Like the CGI, the 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 music, the acting. Like I mean, as a young kid, I was just blown. I think I was like in second grade or something. I don't remember, but I was right. just blown away. And that the moments like that has carried forward to this day of why I still love cinema. I'm very very like religious about watching movies. Um, and yeah, like it started started back then yeah so you know what now i know why you study space <laughs> why you and why you you know study so renewable energy sources you know you're looking for the power of the sun yeah so good if watch the movie if you don't if you didn't catch the reference yeah. Yeah. this yeah. is the origin story of dr octopus so that's oh, the- <laughs> homework go watch spider-man <laughs> too the train and the ripping of the yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. oh my gosh before we go into the advice for cage what's the last good movie you watched last oh this film sorry cinema last film, film yeah film, you know, i recently just watched a movie called the holdovers great movie oh if i want to see it yeah someday. it yeah. just came out highly recommend yeah. paul giamatti yep yeah 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 yep. great great okay great movie okay so to, to round out our round of of, of night hennessy application questions would you have any advice musings for people who are thinking about applying to Night Hennessy. I'm yeah. assuming one won't be started two weeks before the deadline. I'm assuming yeah. that's the, that yeah. won't be. Yeah, don't Maybe start don't do that, that late. Yeah. Obviously, don't start that late. But 
I think the wisdom from me starting that late still holds. Like I would still share that, which is don't try to be someone you're not. I didn't have the time to be someone I wasn't. Like yeah. I just had to be raw. Oh wow, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you so, didn't have the time. Yeah, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the luxury of sitting and thinking what did the admissions people want to hear from me. Sure. You know, yeah. I just had to put it down raw. So don't try to portray yourself as if you are someone they want to see. Be yourself. I know that's very cliche. Be yourself is very overused, but that's what worked for me because the other applications I applied to where I did have more time, you know, I didn't get it. So mm. <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, sample size N equals one. So who knows? Like uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm extrapolating things I probably shouldn't be, but just put down your story as it is. You probably have something interesting to say, say it, you know, and I will say consult the people like I had my friends help me out with discussing improbable facts, things like that. So don't do this alone. And have fun with it too. Like I actually found my ninth Tennessee application to be quite introspective. Like I, mm-hmm. but I think I learned about myself through thinking about connecting the dots. Like I was like, wow. When I connected the dots, I realized people were always there. There was always people that were shaping my life. You know. Yeah. So discover something new by yourself too. So like take it seriously. Like even if you, like don't let the act of writing the essay not be about trying to get the scholarship, but make it about you seriously think about connecting the dots for the sake of writing this essay, not for the sake of the scholarship, but Mm -hmm. for your own understanding of connecting the dots. Yeah, that's my advice. Beautifully said. That's great advice. I'm sure I'm be thinking about so much after this podcast. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about paint flex, paint centimeter objects, one centimeter yeah. objects in space that move gracefully but will kill you. It will kill you. Yeah. To you. I mean, like like him, he yeah. moves gracefully, but he's a killer. He's a killer, but don't push him. You know. <laughs> you guys are great. This has been super fun, guys. No, it's been great having you. Just appreciate you just yeah. taking the time and, and being so open and, and vulnerable with with your life story. And yeah, we're just really glad we could highlight your story for this episode of the pod. We mentioned a little bit about this at the top, but really you are one of the kindest people I know in the community and the value you put on other people's work in your life and other people's value is not just shown in the way that you talk about your life, but it's shown in the way that you, that you walk through this community and you walk through your life as far as I see it. And you've brought a lot of light to my life and, you know, our (laughs) check-in sessions are always extremely, you know, mutually beneficial and, and I smile whenever I walk into Denning House and see that you're there. Oh my gosh. So thank you for being here. Wow, thank you. And you know, I'm glad that that the people listening to this get to get to to hear <laughs> uh, some representation of how of how much of love, love you bring to any space that you're in. You guys are too kind. I, I really appreciate that. I really do. Thank mm. you so much for that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Imagine a World where we hear from inspiring members of the KHS community who are making significant contributions in their respective fields, challenging the status quo, and pushing the boundaries of what is possible as they imagine the world they want to see. This podcast is sponsored by Knight Tennessee Scholars at Stanford University, a multidisciplinary, multicultural graduate fellowship program providing scholars with financial support to pursue graduate studies at Stanford while helping equip them to be visionary, courageous, and collaborative leaders who address complex challenges facing the world. Follow us on social media at Knight Hennessy and visit our website at kh.stanford.edu to learn more about the program and our community.